0: Welcome back to Time for Heroes podcast. This week's guest is Adrian Hunter. If you're not aware of Adrian, Adrian was Pete Doherty's manager for many years and we spoke about his early life growing up in Goorock, moving down to London to get involved in the music business and eventually coming to work with Pete Doherty. We talked about how stressful that was and then we also talked about... Charity in which he helps called Support Act, and up to modern days, where he's managing bands like Retro Video Club and singer songwriter George O'Hanlon. And at the end, we picked his heroes to come for a dinner party. Thanks very much. I hope you enjoy, and I'll be back soon with another episode. Adrian Hunter, probably most famous for managing Pete Doherty. Just tell us a bit your yeah, early life growing up in Scotland and how you came to be in the music world.
1: My early life was, you know, pretty normal. Went to school, played football with my pals, went to concerts. Um, you know, nothing out of the ordinary. Went to school, went to uni after it. Um, you know, just, just the usual things that boys in the west of Scotland get up to. Just where was us? Was us in Guruk? Have you been in Guruk all your life? From where I am now. Um, I was well. I was born in Greenock, but I'm mostly from Guruk. Moved here when I was very young. Um, left for about twenty years on and off, and am and I'm back here now. I've been kind of drawn back to it. Mm-hmm. Um, I started coming back rather than going back to my place in London between tours. I, I found myself been drawn back here just for the peace and quiet and uh, and then eventually thought you know what I just I don't want to go back to london so I stopped going back to london and this is where I this is where I live where I do all my business um and it's not an issue doing business for here i found it's it's pretty simple mm-hmm. um you know as you say when i was I was managing Peter. Peter wasn't living in London for long periods as well, so no matter where I, where I stayed, really, um, London was as convenient or inconvenient as, as anywhere else. If he's living in Paris, it'll take me the same amount of time to fly there from here as it does to get a Eurostar over. So, hi. Mm-hmm. Family about here, fresh air, lovely views. You can't beat a good um, Scottish climate and scenery. Yeah, I mean... My house is on the top floor at the top of a cliff, um, and every window looks out onto over to the, the bottom or the probably be the southwest, no, southeast of uh, the Argyll Peninsula. Right. So I get to see, you know, I just look out the window and I can see the islands across the river, spectacular sunsets. Couldn't imagine living anywhere else now. Yeah, you wouldn't get that in London.
0: So. No. What did you when you went to university? What were you doing there?
1: I originally went to uni and studied biochemistry, and I chose biochemistry because I was always interested in science and that sort of thing. I didn't know what I wanted to do really. I was I was very young for my year, so I was very young when I went to, to uni. I think I'd, I'd just turned seventeen, maybe. Mm-hmm. I wasn't I wasn't eighteen yet. I'm mm-hmm. not sure. Um, but two of my pals were doing biochemistry, so I went to do biochemistry as well, and I hated it, absolutely hated it, and left after three years, um, which you do four years for an honours degree in Scotland, so I left after three to, uh, with just an ordinary degree. But then I went back and did a masters in bioengineering, which I absolutely loved, and and that was, that's, that's what took me down to London, because in the course of doing my masters, um, I got a job uh, doing research at a hospital on the outskirts of London and so I went down there to, to do, the, do the research, finish my master's and at the same time do a PhD, which I did for three years and I was the only person really from my hometown that lived in London so any of the, any of the bands that, that that came from here would, would stay with me when they came down. There was one local band called Whiteout who um, they came down. They got eventually got the record deal with Silvertone, um, and they used to stay with me all the time. And then when they went on the first tour, which was their first tour and Oasis's first tour, mm-hmm. um, co-headline one band headlined either night um, on consecutive nights. Um, my pal says, "Why don't you?" My co- I was in I was in the medical school at. Uh, Royal the Royal Free Hospital in Hampstead Medical School and uh, my contract ran out and my pal said why don't you come on tour? So I went on that tour and I, I just never ever went back to it. Never, I'd finished my PhD, I was just about to hand it in and I just never ever did and I just worked in music ever since. So I toured with, toured with Whiteout for a number of years and uh, the guy called Roddy McKenna, who worked at Silvertone, mm-hmm. Glaswegian guy, you know, he sort of inquired who's this, this guy that, that, at the time I was living in Camden Town with two girls that worked at Creation and their boyfriends, who were um, Tim Burgess out at the Charlatans and Stephen Duffy, who mm-hmm. has had many musical incarnations, whether it be the Lilac time, he was the original member of Duran Duran. He's, you know, he's a very, very talented musician. So so me and my girlfriend and, and those four were living in a flat in Camden Town and Britpop was just about to kick off. And, you know, it was an amazing time to be around. And the, the guy that works at the record company was saying, like, who's this guy that's, you know, knocking about in Camden Town and he's into his music, And then I got an introduction to him and he asked me for it to come and work at Silvertone, which I did uh, for a number of years. Um, And we, you know, worked at Silvertone, we set up a wee singles label called Mono. Um, And then um, he got the sack. um, And I'd kind of nailed my colours to the mast, you know, I'm, I like to think myself as quite a loyal person, mm-hmm. and uh, they wanted me to come over and, and become a product manager rather than work in a r which, nothing wrong with product management, but, you know, and there was some cool stuff that I'd, I'd be working with, like, you know, KRS-One, Tribe Called Quest, those th- type of things, but there was an awful lot of stuff that I really didn't like, which, like, Steps and Rednecks, and, you know, so I wanted to stay in a r so... I just well, it was the right move, or the wrong move. I, I I decided that that's what I was going to do. So, so I get I get I get made redundant when he did. And then that night, actually, a pal of mine got in touch and said well, there was a band playing tonight. You really could, should come and see them. And I explained the situation to him. I said, look, I've just been sacked, um, so I don't really know what I'd be going to see them for. And he said, well, they don't have a manager. I said, all right, I'll come down and have a look. And uh, went along with a band called Scott Four, and um, they were great. I, I loved them, absolutely loved them. And then ended up their manager. And oddly enough, I then asked Roddy if he wanted to, to co-manage with me. So, you know, he'd given me my first break and then, you know, I found this band and then we, we went into management together. Um signed them to V2 Records, which is Richard Branson's new label. Just after he'd sold Virgin. He wasn't allowed to, he wasn't allowed to have another label for a for a number of years. Um, as part of that deal when he sold Virgin. And then he when he was allowed to have a new label, we'd set up V2. So signed them to nice big record deal, nice big publishing deal. And then uh, got them a studio bill, and they went away, and they, they took ages and ages making the next album. During which time, um, the Strokes and the Libertines and that sort of thing had come along, changed the, the the face of music almost overnight. So they came kind of blinking into the light out of the, the studio with the with the album they'd taken so long to record into an environment. where, you know, when they went in, they were you know the coolest things and sliced bread and. When they came back out with the album, yeah. things had just gone, and nobody was nobody was really that interested in them anymore, which was a real shame because I thought they were I thought they were a, a great band, and I've been listening back to some of their music just lately on a bit of a sort of nostalgia tip and right. to, it's still great. Where, um, you, but, where where would you be able to get that music? Oh, god. It's not in Spotify pick up like on Spotify, I and that sort of thing, but right. I'm not even sure if they're on Spotify. I might actually have a wee look. Mm. Um, have I got spot? I don't think I've got Spotify on this laptop, but I'll, I'll have a wee look at some point. But yeah. yeah, Scott Four, um, as in this fourth Scott Walker album, right? Uh, it's fairly easy to remember, yeah.
0: I'll have they, a wee
1: look. They, were, they were great. And so, then that we then started discussions with a, a band from Manchester about management called I Am Clut, uh-huh. um, who went on to do it. They did. They were, you know, but it didn't really work out in management with them. Um, but although I, you know, still help them out whenever I can. They're still friends of mine, and uh, and so I put on their first London shows. Um, when we were looking to get them, you know, a bit more profile in the industry. And uh, the support band was the Libertines, who at that point, Gary wasn't in the band yet. Right. It was just, you know, uh, Carl and John and uh, a, a drummer who's considerably older than them called called mm-hmm. Um, So that was, that was when I first crossed paths with the Boys in the Libertines. And I always kind of kept in touch with Peter. So I drifted out of management for a couple of years, just into club promotion and putting gigs on and just generally going mad for three or four years. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Peter and I's paths would cross every so often and he would ask me to manage them and maybe the time wasn't right or whatever. Um, and then I actually started, got back into management, managing... Uh, Drew McConnell's side project called the Phoenix Drive, which right. is a much more rocky band. But the thing is, they were a good band. But but Drew was, you know, he was heavily invested in Baby Shambles, who were in, you know, the eye of the hurricane at that point, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> the most famous stroke infamous band in in Britain. And uh, I went to see them at Brixton, and. Um, and I hadn't seen Baby Shambles before. It was only ever Libertines that I saw. And uh and I just thought they were incredibly exciting. And that's be early. Early Baby Shambles. Who was
0: drumming? Yeah. I think, I think
1: I think the first album had just come out. Right. Um, they parted company with James Mallard, who was managing them up to that point. There was all sorts of craziness going on. I mean, really mental stuff going on. But you know, I was going through a period in my life where I was a bit mental as well. So, I, uh I, th- I was watching them on stage, and I knew that Drew was never able going to be able to commit full time to his side project, mm-hmm. and that if I wanted to do anything, the band I should be managing were the one that I was watching on the stage that night. So, I guess after that, I started making, you know kind of more subtle approaches because I was very close friends with with Mick Whitnell who who joined after Pat left. Baby shambles that is um me and Mick were old old pals and obviously I knew Drew. I didn't know Adam the drummer and I, I knew Peter kind of off and on um over the years. So I kind of put the feelers out about management because they really needed management. They were they were you know yeah. were without a, a deal they they were you know, just all sorts of madness kicking off, and uh so I thought, you know, I've got nothing to lose, so by this point I was back in Scotland, though, working in a record shop, Rhythmic Records in Greenock, right. and uh I was on Mars, for the morning, you, it was like earning 30 quid a week or something like that, and, mm-hmm. you know, being skint, but I just took that 30 right. quid a week and spent it on the Megabus, going right. up in London, they were quite flexible with my, my days off and that sort of thing, so you know, I would work in the shop, get my 30 quid or 35 quid and, you know, just go down to London running on empty, basically, mm. um, just to try and cement myself in a position of of managing baby shambles. And then eventually, you know, that that came off. And obviously, I had to, I had to pack in working in the shop of Although I did, I did, uh, I did uh, go back up and work at Christmas when it got busy because I, did, I didn't want to let them down. And, uh, but by that point, you know, I could afford the train. <laughs> so um, and that's kind of how I ended up managing Baby Shambles, um, which I did for nigh on ten years. I would say. I mean, Baby Shambles haven't officially sacked me yet. <laughs> no, it, it was just Peter. <laughs> so. Yeah, Because Pete did, he did suck you yes, at one point, didn't he? And then, I mean, I mean, there was the, 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 the listen, it's, it's, it, I'm, I'm not t- telling tales out of, out of school here when when addiction issues are discussed. Yeah, I mean, I won't, I won't go into I won't go into any personal details of it, but Peter's addictions have, have been well documented, and that's not for me to discuss. But what I can say is that. When you put heroin and crack cocaine into any mix with anyone, what ensues is basically chaos. Yeah. Absolute chaos. And my job was to try and manage that chaos. But because of that, I think I was sacked about five or six times over the course of the, the 10 years I was involved with, with, with Peter and the, and, the, and the music projects and, and other yeah. projects. It was just that the, the last time it happened, you know, it was, it felt, it felt a bit final. And for me, I was kind of getting to the point of just not being able to, put it this way, I was about to turn 50 and I thought to myself, right, that's 10 years I've been doing this. What am I going to be like when I turn sixty, yeah, if I'm still doing this, and I just thought to myself, ah, the likelihood of me turning sixty is minimal if I keep mm-hmm. doing this job, because it's the stress levels. I mean, luckily enough, I was never, never into 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 drugs. Really, smoked, drank, you know, you know, their 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 habits as well. They can be addictions as well, but I was never into into heroin or crack or. Even speed or coke or anything like that. Just it wasn't for me. And I think I was kind of lucky in that respect because I think I would have gone right off the rails if I if I had a a for it. But I just I remember sitting in my my house and it was around about Christmas, and my oldest mate was over from Canada. And I was talking to him about, you know, how it was just it was just too much, to be honest with you. And he very pragmatically just said, well. Well, don't do it then. You know, if it's not making you happy anymore, if it's stressing you, it's making you ill, then just stop it. And I said to him, <laughs> I remember I said to him, "Yeah, but if I do that, you're guaranteed that the libertines will reform two weeks later, <laughs> and all the work that I've done up to this point, you know, I I, I won't be around for that final chapter. The only thing that, I, the only things that I hadn't really done thus far, were." To successfully help Peter get clean, mm-hmm. and to we put the Libertines back together in 2010, but that was just for that was just for Reading and Leeds in a warm up gig, you know. Yeah, that band had so much unfulfilled potential, and you know the, the the end of the story wasn't written, and I'd have felt really left out if if you know it started to write itself after I'd, I'd walked away. So and and staying, I I then and whether it's by accident or design, I don't know, but, and there's a certain amount of design in, in the Libertines getting back together, and, but, you know, I'm, I'm not one for claiming credit for things that are not all my, all my doing, I, I just played up my small part in it, but, the, those two things, of Peter getting properly clean, and the Libertines getting properly back together and making an album, I did that, and, we did all the big shows, the big festivals, the big touring, the Alexander Palace mm-hmm. sellouts. So when it did come to the, the final argument between myself and Peter, you know, it was very upsetting at first and I didn't really, what, I, I, it left a little bit of a void because I'd been so hands-on and I'd done this so hard and I'd worked so hard at it for so many years that when something like that goes, you're kind of left with a big hole where it used to be. Yeah. So that was difficult like to deal with. But when that passed, you know, it, it it sort of revealed itself as being actually been the right thing that that I didn't go back or I didn't get asked back or I didn't want to go back. Because at that point I had i arguably done everything that there was to do at the highest level. Yeah. And whatever happened subsequently to that, um, whether that became diminishing returns or, or you know, or, you know, just general worries that I had about Peter's health and relapsing and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I can kind of stand back and say, well, luckily, I can stand back and say, well, I did all the good stuff. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Or I got to do all the good stuff. But when it came to, you know, the diminishing returns of the, you know the scale of the events and and the the other, you know, slipping down that slope back into addiction. I it, it was probably right that for me that I didn't go back, but I was just lucky that, that I got to do other really good stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, you we know, went to Thailand <laughs> for six months. Went well, over for ten days and stayed six months, really just to 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 help out Peter. you know with the. You know, and the rehab and all the things that came from that. Well that must um, have been that must have been really <clears throat> rewarding to see kind
0: of like Peter getting healthier and obviously the, the rest of the band coming out. He signed a contract over there, didn't he, For the I mean Yeah,
1: being. I mean it it was I mean it was you know it was away from my, my friends and family for months upon end. But you know there's worse places to to, to wash up than yeah. you know the eastern seaboard of 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 Thailand and um I, I thoroughly enjoyed my time out there and I mean it was <laughs> it was, certainly was an experience and it was just great to see Peter genuinely genuinely without you know anything any system whether that be you know mm-hmm. drug or alcohol you know um. And, and that was that was that was just great. That was really really good. But unfortunately, it, it just wasn't always to last. Really, um, I mean, I believe that Peter does Peter says he keeps in touch with me, but he doesn't. Um, but I always I, I keep tabs on him. You know, just in terms of how he's doing. And I think he's doing really well at the moment, which is yeah, great. I'm really, he looks, I would
0: say he looks the healthiest he's ever looked. I mean, he's put on some weight, but. Yeah, it's just nice to see somebody like that after so many years. I mean, I've been invested in the Libertines. They were my band, so I've been invested for probably the same amount of time as yourself. So I think it's great to see him the way he is.
1: Oh, it's lovely. It's lovely. Um, Yeah, I just wish he'd pick up the phone every so often because he's got this habit, and I told him not to do it, but he, he does it all the time, of like... Not being in touch, but then only getting in touch when you know they're doing a gig in Scotland or something like that, and yeah. you know, invited been invited to the gig. Because to be honest with you, I don't really want to. I don't really want to see them play. To be honest with you, yeah. um, it's just it it doesn't bring any bring any pleasure to me anymore, mm. unfortunately. Um, but but what I don't like is. Uh, What I don't like is, you know, being summoned, like come to the gig. Yeah. Because I said to Peter, when he was up here with that uh, band, he's got the Puta Madres. And um, and I I went, the first time we're in Glasgow since, we we parted ways. And um, and, uh, so I went up and I said, look, Peter, you know, if you really want to be my pal, be my pal. And that doesn't involve just getting in touch with me because suddenly I come into your mind because you're in Glasgow. Yeah. But that's not what that's not the way that Paul's up yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Know, of course, no, no, not, don't worry about that. And just really he's like never gets in touch at all, except except if he's if he's bands in town. Yeah. And you know, which is a bit of a shame, really. I, I mean, I told myself I wasn't going to do it, but the Libertines played down in Kilmarnock and I went down there at Peter's insistence. And, and then when I got there, he avoided me, like the plague in the venue. And then I caught him slipping out the back door afterwards. And I, so I went all the way down to Kilmarnock, which involves going all the way up to Glasgow, well, Paisley, and all the way back down. It's like, it's not just down the coast, it's about two hours to get mm. there. And um, and he he's just fucks off out the door. So I said, look, where are you going? I was going to the hotel. So I thought the hotel was in Kilmarnock. But it wasn't, it was way out in the countryside somewhere. So we drove for about three quarters of an hour to get to this hotel. By which time, um we get out of the, the bus, It was just me and him in it, Wait, Mario driving. Mario pulls away and Peter says, you know what, I'm just going to go up my bed. And I was just like, fucking cheers, mate, you know, thanks. <laughs> and luckily, um, Mario had gone round the hotel to come back out the way. And I managed to flag him down and just, just go home. And that's the last I've ever really heard of Peter, which is a real shame because it was a yeah. it was a big disappointment like, to what, to behave like that to someone. But you know
0: that's
1: very he, sad. Man. Lots but, of things that he's got to deal with in his head, but but manners, yeah. you know, manners are universal. You know, it just, you know, you don't lose your 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 uh, your manners through addiction. You just yeah. care less about them. What
0: about uh, the rest of the band? The rest of the Libertines? What's your know, relationship like with them? <laughs>
1: Um, that, funnily enough, that night in Kilmarnock, uh, Peter was at the hotel. He didn't come to the gig until the last minute because he was obviously trying to avoid me. Um, and so I went down and I walked into the dressing room and uh, Gary wasn't there, but Carl and, and John were there. And like, I was, you know, what? Uh, all sorts of things go through your head when, when you part company with someone. And, you know, I did an awful lot for those guys. An awful lot. And uh, more than than you know, a standard management artist arrangement, you know, deals with. And um, and you know, when Peter sacked me, and and I, I, I never even got a phone call or a text or anything off of them, nice. which I just thought was pretty cuntish, to be honest with you. But you know, so I was down in command and I thought I'll go and see them, see what they've got to say about themselves. So I walked in, and you know, it was as if I like walked out the the room. You know, ten minutes earlier, i just came back because Carlo's just like, "All right, how you doing?" And uh, and John went, "Ah, Adrian, I've been meaning to get in touch with you." <laughs> and I, said, I said, "What? You've been meaning to get in touch with me for two years, John?" And he went, "Ah, yes." <laughs> so, um, but I had a nice wee night in there with them, I suppose. And it's just the way people are, you know. It was it was a bit it was a bit shitty, not you know. Not even getting a thanks for them or, or, you know, a commiseration in the, in the, in the, the situation. But do you know what? People are people, and they just are how they are. And you know, I try, I try not to judge people. Um, yeah. I just try and you know live my own life, that is the right way as much as possible. If other people are not able to do that, then mm. you know that's that's down to them. It's nothing for me to worry about. So it wasn't it just um Pete
0: that you managed you manage the view well, and Brown Bear as well? Um yeah. The I managed the view well, Brown Bear. I've had Brown Bear on I've had Matthew on another podcast that I've done, and that's kind
1: of where your name came up. And obviously okay, Matthew. That's a lot guy, I love Matt. Yeah. And I'm supposed to be catching up with him soon. It's been it's been too long since I've actually seen him months now. So I'm, I'm hoping we're going to catch up in the next, next week, couple of weeks or a month or so. Yeah, um, and yeah. Man,
0: we uh, he says that you got him jobs doing managing for the Libertines and the view of Kyle Faulkner. Yeah,
1: so. I mean, Matt's a, Matt's a sound guy, you know, and he's a great musician, but I also think he's a, he's a really hard worker. He's really reliable and he's, and he's really skillful at what he does. Mm-hmm. And he, you know, he can turn his hand to tour management. Um, you know, he, uh, he got his experience um, working, you know, bringing them in to do, you know, running and that sort of thing for uh, in the Libertines camp. And you know, he took that experience, learned it very quickly, and then took that and applied it to to working with with Kyle on his on his solo stuff. What was it? Was it
0: you that got Kyle in, uh, in the rehab? Because obviously you had been yeah. over there and um, yeah, you helped kind of with a charity
1: support act,
0: didn't you? Yeah,
1: you uh, my friend, up. my friend Dylan, who worked uh, at the rehab that Peter went into, um, and Dylan was actually the guy that you know got Peter over the line and getting clean, mm-hmm. and uh, and I brought Dylan in to you know to to help and be. A sort of counselor, advisor on the whole libertines thing when when we're on the roads, you know, just in terms of, you know, trying to trying to bring uh, maybe a bit of that expertise into that camp, you know, and um, and Dylan's extremely good at what he does, and he he left the rehab that, that Peter had been in, and came to me, but this is post-Libertines, so it's post-Libertines for me and it's post-Libertines for Dylan, mm-hmm. and came to me um, saying that, he, you know, he'd, he'd started work at another rehab in, in northern Thailand in Chiang Mai. And I was spending a lot of time out in Thailand after after Peter and I parted ways, you know, just, just you know, trying to relax, um, wind down. And uh, so I went up and met these guys and we, we came up with the, the idea of Support Act, which is, you know... To not just for the people that the front men and bands, the, the you know the peeters of the world, but for for your guitar techs, your roadies, your front of yeah. house sound guys, your you know the the people who, who didn't really make it as musicians, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And so we came up with this this scheme to try and provide rehab for these people. And I think in total. Maybe four people we put through through rehab programs, right? Um, and over the course of when when we were doing that, um, I stopped doing that, um, and 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 it's always in the back of my mind to kind of restart it with someone, um, but I just it, it just hasn't happened yet. But like, I'm quite proud of the fact that we managed to help you know a few people while we were. Yeah. While we we're doing it and obviously Kyle was one of them. I can I can mention that because it was in the newspapers.
0: Mm-hmm. Cause um I mean Kyle's life has kind of turned around. He's got children now, and it's it's nice seeing that as well, kinda the same as what we're seeing about Peter. It's nice it's nice to see them healthy. So which what what are you doing in music now? Are you still involved in music or
1: Yeah, um, I manage a band called Retro Video Club from Edinburgh. Yeah, Um, yeah, they're very good. Uh, I manage a Dutch artist called Pitu. I manage a young lad called Georgia Hanlon, who, myself and Lee, who Lee got again experience working with me on Baby Shambles and the Libertines and Peter Solo stuff. And then he, he he was more hands-on with The View. And so I co-managed The View with Lee. And he also managed an artist called Rhys Lewis, who he signed to Decca. Um, and Lee discovered through another band that we managed called The Estebans, um, a young lad called Georgia Hanlon, who we, we started managing, and we put his first show on in March... 2020, mm-hmm. and we are getting some very good reactions, and and then uh, COVID hit, and lockdown hit, and everything just stopped. So the record right companies, what they initially did was make sure that all the signed artists had the facilities and you know everything they needed to to tide them over creatively, and you know and you know looking at their mental health and just make sure that they're in a safe place or you know in a good place. Um, you know all round and then they started you know must have just gone back looking at you know all the stuff they were they were thinking about before lockdown like mm-hmm. new artist wise and um and George started picking up a lot of attention you know a number of record companies you know expressed their interest and in wanted to sign them um both in, in Britain and in, in America and then we eventually signed him to EMI, for the rest of the world except America, where he's signed to Harvest Records. Um, and then we, we, we signed his publishing to BMG. So so that was you know that was some good good business getting done during lockdown. And then another young Scottish lad called Christy, Christy O'Donnell from Glasgow, um, you know, performs as Christy. Um, I'd already signed him to, to Made Records, which is the, the label run by the, the management team of Sigrid and Aurora. Right. And so we, we you know, I teamed up with them and developed Christy over, you know, 12 months or so, releasing again just after lockdown. His first release on Made came out and he just signed with uh, Decca Records last week. Nice. So so that, that's all going really well so fuzzy oh yeah yeah there's another guy called David English who is you know we're developing him with the same producer that we developed George with and he he just sounds absolutely amazing all the artists I work with sound they all sound completely different which is you know which is great um and I, I think they all sound fantastic and it's, <laughs> it's 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 good to actually be able to concentrating the job of management now rather than the job of you know firefighting and Yeah. Just yeah, just just general craziness.
0: Obviously I'm a weary, George. I think you've posted a few things in Facebook. So I've been a wary having I've checked that has music which I'm really into. And obviously Retro Video Club I've been I've been into them for a good few years. And it was only once I kind of added you on Facebook and I thought he posts a lot about the Retro Video Club and I, I thought maybe you were involved in some way. Um, so at some point I'm looking at getting Liam on the podcast. Oh, I've, I've I'll, 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 I'll give him my, my shout. Um, but obviously, me it, that, I mean, that. they just played this SWG3 the other week, didn't they? Yeah. Mark Sharp as well. I've had him on the podcast. Another yep. big band and young lad, Connor
1: Fife.
0: Yeah. So, well, obviously with that, what, what do you think of the Scottish music industry where it's at? Do, do you think it's in a good
1: place? Um, I do. Um, Scotland always punches above its weight in, in terms of music. I mean, something that pisses me off a lot is that, um, you know, you always get your scenes, right? You get the Sheffield scene where you had your Milburns and your Arctic Monkeys and all that, your Bristol scene where you had Portless Heads and your massive attacks your Liverpool, your Manchester, you know, it, it's all about scenes and that, that's what the music business kind of looks at. They look at all the major cities and they know that all the wee bands, the good bands from those major cities around the smaller towns, yeah. they all gravitate to either live or play in the major cities. So they develop their networks there. And and I I'll, I'll always get a beam my bonnet about the fact that I think that the, the music business, you know, is is London based obviously, but they just look on Scotland as a as another city yeah. on the island of Britain, you know, rather than but that's a whole different that's a whole different kettle of fish if you want to start talking about they should have they should have label representation up here or not. But that, that's 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 a totally different thing. But what what I do think is that that Scotland really really you know punches um, with with it seen and and also one thing that really surprised me as well. Pleasantly, when I moved back up here and started to spend more time in the sort of music scene up here, it's how supportive people are of each other, even across totally different genres. Yeah. You know, like for example, just simple things like you can go into a pub in Glasgow and they'll have posters for, you know, a gig that's not in their, in their pub. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? And that would be absolutely unheard of in London. That just wouldn't happen. You wouldn't even be allowed to leave out flyers for your gig.
0: No,
1: and that, and that, and another boozer. So, I, yeah, I just, I just think it's a, a very, you know, Scotland's a very positive place to be musically. Always has been. Yeah. Always comes up with the goods. You, know, there's always someone who's flying the flag for Scotland. Well, you know, that's the yeah, moment, quality all Aldi, you know, Christie's on on his way up as well. Retro Video Club club are doing very well. So, you know, there's there's always. There's always stuff coming through, and it's less scene based as well, um, because as I said, these other cities have their scenes, and it, mm-hmm. they all tend to be bands of a similar type of genre. But in Scotland, there's there's, there's stuff there's stuff constantly coming through of different of of totally different genres. Yeah. Um. or constantly. So yeah, I think it's I think it's extremely healthy here. Yeah, thriving.
0: Um. So, I think we I think we've covered. Everything really, unless you get anything else to add before we go into your heroes, uh,
1: eh, not really.
0: No, not really. obviously, the, the podcast called Time for Heroes. Nah, I actually pick four heroes, um, to come for the dinner party and what you're going to cook them depending on how good
1: cook okay. Well, my, fu- my first two come as a pair, uh-huh. um, and that would be Bobby Gentry and Glenn Campbell, uh huh, because I would make them sing for the supper because. Right. I'm just amazing. Absolutely amazing. Bobby Gentry. What a voice. Mm-hmm. And Glenn, when they get together, when they do it, it's just, it's just beautiful. Yeah. Um, a lot, of, it's quite funny. A lot of people think because you know, I worked at Silverton and I've worked for like Man's like baby shambles and that sort of thing. That I'm into indie music. I just I'm not, I just, <laughs> just no. I don't I don't really like it. Do you know what I mean? It's not, it's not my thing. I'm into I'm much more like a country and and southern school music. That's 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 what I listen to to right. for, for enjoyment. Um, and you know, Bobby Gentry and Glenn Campbell are just outstanding in that in that genre, just the best ever. So that's my first two. Um my third one would be Professor Bernard Quatermass. Right. Because because I love the Quatermass films and TV shows and that sort of thing. I'm right into my my old British horror films. Mm-hmm. So and he's he's right up there. We could we could do a Bernard Quatermass mass right now, I tell you. If we had, if we'd had him at the start of the pandemic, you know, we might not have got ourselves in as deep as we did. Um so aye, I would have him. Um and lastly it's got to be it's got to be Billy McNeil. Brown the first choice. British captain to lift the European Cup, lift a big cup, and you know what he did at Celtic over all those years was incredible, absolutely incredible, and uh, mm-hmm. and I just I can just imagine some of these stories, not even just about football, just about about being around in those days when those achievements were were, were brought home. Must have some absolutely amazing stories. Oh, so that's my boy. Bobby Glenn. You'd to sit
0: down with boys, not you? I mean, I've, I've kind of had the presence of Bertie Old for five minutes and um, it's amazing. It's amazing just being in their company,
1: any of guys. Aye. I went to a, a hospitality a Celtic game and it was one of the ones where uh, you got your meal, and there was, you know, ex-players and stuff like that there. And... Uh, uh, I've I've met some probably quite famous people in my time and doesn't face me at all. But meeting Celtic players, I just get awestruck. And um, and um, so we're we're having a chat with Danny McGrain, who you know we tolerated his, <laughs> <laughs> tolerated this for about fifteen minutes, uh, just babbling rubbish at him, and then he's like, like lads, I think I'd better talk to somebody else. It was like really nicely kind of patched this, and then, <laughs> then as we were leaving, we, we 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 the lift was doors were just about to close, and so we pinged the pinged the door and the doors open again and walked into the lift, tiny wee lift, and there was Danny. He's just like you could see, you could just see he was like oh no are these two again, <laughs> <laughs> and then the lift stopped between floors. And he, was stuck, he was stuck in the lift, but thankfully it didn't stop for long. But it was just kind of like oh my. God, <laughs> <laughs> but what a day that was! That was that was fantastic. So, so, uh, so uh, I, so Danny, come as well if 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 five are allowed. I'll let you but have Danny McGreen as well. What's that? I'll let you have him as well. So what, what uh,
0: are you? What are you can to make them? Are you a good cook?
1: Oh, I never thought about that actually. I, um I, I like cooking. I would never say I'm a good cook, but I really enjoy cooking and uh, people seem to enjoy some of the stuff that I cook. Um, so what would I cook? Well, because Bobby and Glenn are coming, I've been experimenting with... I've got a barbecue smoker, so I'd probably get a, a brisket and smoke a brisket no, on yeah. the barbecue. That's um, just for a, for a southern flavour for Bobby and Glenn. And um, Bernard, he'd like his beef anyway, so... I, I think he'd be. I put some uh, Yorkshire puddings on with gravy, so he could have that with his beef, and then uh, and a uh, Caesar salad. <laughs> <laughs> it's wrong spelling, a Caesar. Yeah. <laughs> but but um, well, our oh, salad, I make Somtam from my time in Thailand. It's my all-time favorite Thai food, Somtam mm-hmm. salad. So I make that as well. So roast beef Yorkshire puddings with smoked loin and a and a Somtam salad.
0: I hope you all enjoyed this episode of Time for Heroes Podcast. If you would like to get in touch, the best way is on the Facebook page, Time for Heroes Podcast, or on Instagram at Time for Heroes Podcast, or Twitter at Time for Heroes P1, or drop me an email at Time for Heroes Pod at gmail.com You'll find Time for Heroes on all podcast platforms including Spotify, Apple, Google and Amazon. Please leave a review where you can, share with others and more importantly enjoy.